Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is to be able to be here today. Lord, we're so thankful that we have a government that actually encourages us to come, encourages us to have a house of worship like this. We're so thankful, Lord, that Brother Uli and Sister Helga are back home with us again after many months away. We look forward to our other snowbirds coming home in the next couple months. Lord, be with those that can't be with us in this day. Be with Sister Hilda. Be with Aunt Laney. Be with Mom and Dad, who also can't be with us. Perhaps the Mueller's that are having difficulty getting here this morning. Lord, be with all those whose hearts would be here, and yet they aren't able to join us. Visit them, Lord. We're so thankful that we live in this dispensation where we are not even bound by earth, but through the power of thy Spirit, we can truly connect with one another, and we thank thee for that great privilege. Lord, be with those who have traveled away from us, those to serve in other places. Bless them, Lord, as they act in the kingdom's work in this day. We pray that they might, play, pray that they might have safe travels back home. Lord, we thank thee for the season that we are in, where we see renewal all around us, where we see colors that we can only see for a very brief time in the year the tenderness of new growth, reminding us of the tenderness of new growth in thee. Lord, speak to us in this morning hour. Teach us out of thy word, and we will be careful, Father, to thank thee for the blessings we know we shall receive in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Dear ones, this morning, as I was having some quiet time at home, the Lord reminded me of a quote that I heard this week. And the quote went something like this. When we are at the end of our resources, we're at the beginning of God's. Let me say that again. When we are at the end of our resources, we are actually at the beginning of God's resources. And I was reminded of a scripture in Ephesians. So I'd like to begin reading in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to begin with verse 19 and then continue through chapter 3. So Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 19. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of this dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words." Whereby, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, and is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ Jesus by the gospel." Wherefore, 
I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, in his grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be, made, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant unto you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Through verse 21, the concluding of the chapter. Dear ones, I'd like to read the lyrics of a hymn that I also thought of this morning. It's in our gospel hymns. It's hymn number 403. And as I was thinking about this scripture, and I was thinking about a couple verses in particular in it, and then some other verses that came to mind, this, this hymn just started ringing out in, in my mind, and I also uh, was able to find um, a quartet singing it this morning. He giveth more grace. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limit, his grace has no measure, his power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. That's the, the second verse of this song is, is what I thought of when I, when, I, when I heard that quote. When we are at the end of our resources, we're at the beginning of God's. When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. That's amazing. It's not up to us 
It's not up to our strength. It's not up to the resources that we can muster. It's up to him. And if we think about it, dear ones, we, you know, we, I, I'm, I'm, I'll be 62 in a couple months. I'm thinking about, you know, are my resources planned out well? You know, the Lord has laid it on my heart that because of my, my temporal job, I really, I view it as a ministry. That if I'm, that I'm, if I'm healthy, I want to do it for several more years. Will that work? Will it work out for retirement? I think about that with my parents. You know, as they, they've done, and I remember, you know, looking at, okay, where they're living now and the, and the expense of that and how many years will this work and can I make all of these hap- things happen? And it's, it's prudent to plan. It's foolish to worry. They have a good plan. It's a sound plan. I think the plan that Frida and I have is a sound plan, but guess what? These are men's plans. And if we think about it, especially in the spiritual realm, what a blessing to be able to turn over my plan to the Lord and just rely on his resources because his resources are infinite. I want to share a little bit of details, and I will go into to the, the, the chapter that we've read together, but I want to share a little bit of details that I looked up on the woman, uh, Annie Johnson Flint, who wrote this hymn. She was orphaned twice. After teaching a couple years in a school, she developed arthritis so bad that she had to quit. She couldn't function. And she lived out the bulk of her life in Clifton Springs, New York, where she passed away at the age of 65 in 1932 in a wheelchair. She wrote the hymn, He Giveth More Grace. She had to learn, and she wrote many, many other hymns, she had to learn to rely on God's riches and God's grace and God's mercy and God's provisions. And it was actually an adopted kind of aunt that had been living in a sanitarium in Clifton Springs that said, Annie, just come here. Annie's only sibling, a younger sister, was not in any better shape than Annie in terms of providing. But God was there, and God had a plan. And he had a plan for her. And it's interesting that when people interviewed her and asked her, so these hymns that you wrote about, were they from your own sufferings? She said, oh, oh no, I didn't suffer. These were, these were things that I noticed in other people's lives. Wow, what an amazing lady. So at the tail end of chapter 2 in, this, in Paul's letter to the, the brethren in Ephesus, He's, he's laying out, uh, I, and I, I, want us to, I wanted us to read those because it kind of, I think it turns the page a little bit for chapter 3. And he says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and in the household of God. He's establishing who he's writing to here. And then he gets into verse three, uh, chapter 3. Excuse me. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of grace of of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, or as I wrote afore just briefly, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, 
which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. Wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. And then he goes on to add, unto me who am less than the least of the saints is the grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. I want us to think about that thought for a moment. The riches available to a believer are so vast, riches in Christ are so vast, they're unsearchable. We can't know it. Isaiah wrote, talking about heaven, I hath not seen, nor hath ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. For the believer, that begins here. Let me say that again. For the believer, that eternal life, that those things that eye hath not seen nor ear heard, begins here, not there. If we think about the words that Annie wrote about, when we have exhausted our hoarded resources, our Father's gifts, His resources, have only begun here, not there. It's here. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. So I want us to think about what Paul is saying there. He is saying in this verse 9 that there, is this, there was this mystery of the relationship of Christ to creation that was hidden. It was only known by God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son and the Spirit, the three aspects, the three, the three persons of the triune Godhead of the Trinity. They knew it, but no one else did. It was unknown. It was, at that point, unsearchable, too. Who, you know, as, as, if I think about some of the writings, I think Isaiah may have grasped a bit of it, David probably grasped the most because of all the patriarchs of old, David understood the mercy of God the most. And he lived in the mercy, in his awareness of the forgiving mercy of God. How do we know that? Because when David was given the choice to choose for the punishment that he would receive for the sins he committed with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, he said, I place myself on the mercy of the Lord. Let God choose. Now, listen to this, verse 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. And I, I, I actually looked that up in the Amplified very quickly when I got here this morning. And I want you to think about what this means. The purpose is that through the church, 
the complicated, many-sided wisdom of God in all its infinite variety and innumerable aspects might be made known to the angelic rulers and authorities, the principalities and powers in heavenly places. So now let me put that in, you know, my translation 2023 version. The heavenly beings that have been with God forever and will be with God forever, still did not understand the true role of Christ until the church. The church is what God used to explain to heavenly beings the riches of Christ, the purpose of Christ, the fellowship that we could have with God the Father. They, the heavenly beings, the angels, the principalities, the powers of heaven, see God as a creator. They see him as as incredibly powerful. But they don't understand how he could become a father to a human. They didn't understand what it meant to have true mercy and forgiveness. They didn't know what it meant to be lost and to be found. They, don't know, they didn't know what it was meant to, that, this, that this God who created all that is so holy that for millenniums they couldn't even utter his name. They couldn't understand how, how a God who Moses could not look on his faith and live could have the veil of the temple torn so that we could come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and help in time of need. Dan, they didn't understand. They could understand why Daniel, when he was in the presence of a heavenly being, collapsed. Had no strength left in him. But how that same heavenly being, in, 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 and we don't even, you know, who was this heavenly being that, that, that Daniel saw? We don't know for sure. We'll know someday. But that we could literally talk to God. And through the power of his spirit, he would talk back. It was the church that made this possible for them to understand. And there were, there was, there were a couple other scriptures that came to mind. Um, Hebrews eleven forty. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. What does that mean? It means that in, the writer of Hebrews was saying that, that we had, and, and that was at the end, that's the last verse in the, the, the chapter about the heroes of faith. And, and, and so the Amplified on that one says, God, because God had us in mind and had something better and greater in view for us so that these heroes and heroines of faith should not come to perfection apart from us. We need, God provided something even better for us that they could not even understand, nor could they be made complete or perfect in him without us. Is that not an amazing blessing? Is this not something that is totally incredible? And why would I worry about resources when Elijah and Elisha and Moses 
and Daniel and David and Samuel didn't have, they, they had a glimpse of what I have. They could have the Spirit come upon them. They could have the Spirit speak to them. They could have the Spirit give them the ability to do amazing things. And I can have the Spirit indwell me and empower me to not be, combined, not be shackled by sin anymore, to be freed from sin. That I could have the same power of the Spirit that Jesus had available to him when he was on this earth? Yes, why? Because Jesus came and he died and he rose again. He shed his blood. He had victory over sin and death for me. And he, and he went back to courts of glory so the Spirit could come. Not to be upon me, not to minister to my needs. And I'm not, I'm not saying that in a way to minimize it but that he could indwell me. And then Paul transitions into this beautiful part of the, of, and this is some of my favorite verses in Scripture. And then verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, always, and I love how Paul, Paul always brings it back to Christ. He was a minister to teach, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, in whom we have boldness, and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, <coughs> excuse me, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Where's the strength going to come from? It's not going to come from, from some physical source. The strength is going to come from him in the inner man, the spiritual part of our body. That though we may seem very, very frail on the outside, we'll be strengthened and empowered spiritually on the inside. And then I, I love verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, now listen to verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. What did Paul say to the brethren in Philippi? I don't want to mess it up, so I'm going to read it. Hopefully I can find it. Verse, uh, Philippians 3, beginning with verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. That if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. What was Paul saying? He said, I want to know Christ. I want to know him as, as, as much as I can, as is earthly possible. I want to know all about his sufferings. I want to be made conformable unto his death that I can experience Christ. Why? Because Christ died for him. And he wanted to experience in his, his closest relationship possible to really know who Jesus Christ was. 
And he's saying the same thing for us. That we might be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, and depth, and height. In verse 19, and to know the love of Christ which passeth all knowledge. Well, dear ones, if we never go through a difficult time, if we never go through a sorrow, if we never go through a trial, how will we ever really know the love of Christ? I remember many years ago, it might have been 20 years ago, Brother Urs said in, in, in one of our ministers' meetings, if we never have conflict, we'll never know if we really love each other. Oh, wow. Well, you know what? I'm not one that, I don't like conflict. I, I, I try to avoid conflict. But this past week, I was, I was teaching a two-day class on crucial conversations, and, and it seems lately a lot of my classes just kind of blend together, the topics that we talk about. And, and so I asked the, the group, I said, so let me ask you a question. Is, is, is a relationship stronger if it's never had conflict or if it's had conflict and worked through it? And they all started saying, it's much stronger if you've worked through the conflict. And the reason, the why is, because if we've worked through the conflict, we've committed to each other that the relationship is worth it. And we're going to go through the difficulties, we're going to go through the trials, because we care that much about each other, that we're not going to let the conflict blow us apart as a team or as a, whatever it might be that you're talking about. So unless I've struggled, unless I've had challenges in my life, I'm not going to know that much about how much God and Jesus Christ love me. Because everything's good. And I also won't be taken down the path of growing spiritually. I won't be challenged in my faith to find out, is it real? Is it, is it, is it something that I truly trust on or rely upon? Or is it just head knowledge? to know the love of Christ, which passeth all knowledge. And then the second part of that verse, and that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Oh my goodness. That verse, you know, I have it, a red asterisk. I have it underlined. I still don't comprehend that completely. Paul is saying to the brethren in Ephesus, and, and, what, I, and what I love, uh, not it, it what else I love here is it's a great example of a spiritual father. He spent a lot of time there with the brethren in Ephesus. It was a big city, about a half a million people. It was a very wicked city filled with idolatry, but the brethren were faithful there. And he's, he's this plea for them that they would be filled with the fullness of God. We can't comprehend that, dear ones. It's, if, if, if we say we can comprehend that, I dare you to explain how big is God. I mean, he created, every, he created everything that we see. He's created everything that we don't see. How big is he? Every time we see farther with telescopes or we see smaller with microscopes, we see worlds that we didn't know existed. That's God. And we've only scratched the surface. So if I have days when I'm feeling empty, 
I have days when I'm feeling lonely. I have days when I'm feeling hurt or shortchanged. It's not God's fault. It's mine. Because I'm not allowing his fullness to come into me. I'm focusing on everything around me. I'm focusing on my resources. I'm focusing on what I had, but maybe I don't anymore. Not what I don't have yet in my relationship with my father that I could add to it. And then verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Wait. To him who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above what I ask or think? Wow, is that connecting back to what Isaiah wrote? According to the power that worketh in us. What is the power that works in us? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the very spiritual aspect of God given to us after the blood of Christ made it made us made it available to us that's that's really bad english you know what i meant after jesus died and rose again shed his blood that we might live that we might be cleansed from all unrighteousness nothing that we did it was a gift it was grace the spirit could now come and work in us things that we can't even imagine unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Dear ones, my prayer for all of us is that we could, just as the Apostle Paul said to the brethren in Ephesus, to know him, to experience him, to be filled with the fullness of God, And that's how someone like Annie Johnson Flint could write a hymn when we've exhausted our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. She had nothing, not even health, but she was rich and she was full. So when we face challenges that we don't understand, when we have the questions of wondering why. And and dear ones, don't let Satan beat you up when you wonder why. The wondering why is the beginning of the question that God can answer. If we come to God with a sincere heart and say, Lord, why? We're not saying it in a rebellious way. We're saying, can you help me see why this happened? And why is that an okay question? Because if we believe Romans 8, 28, that says all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose, we are simply saying, God, could you show me how this is going to work for good? And sometimes he may make us wait. And he makes us wait because he wants us to search a little longer. But dear ones, the longer we search, the more we search, the deeper we search, the more we recognize his love. And then in the end, we get heaven too.